I think that this idea of tailored outreach, online and offline, um, has to become kind of the de facto way of engaging across all channels. And so, you know, tailoring an interaction to a market of one, which is sort of the, you know, holy grail of personalization, um, that requires, you know, much greater prowess in terms of data and analytics to understand segments, micro segments uh, of your customers, and then be able to look at behavioral transactional engagement trends. The B2B Marketing Exchange was created with one goal in mind, to help B2B practitioners across marketing and sales be better at their jobs. Now we're bringing the insights from the stage to your ears. These are the tips and tools you need to succeed. This is the B2B Marketing Exchange Podcast. Hello, everyone. We're back with another episode of the B2BMX podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Lindenau, and I'm here with the lovely Claudia Tarico. We're currently up in Boston for our B2B sales and marketing exchange event. It's day three here, and not to hit you with the FOMO, but you're really missing out if you're not here with us. Yeah, I mean, it's just so great to be back in Boston this week with our B2B community. All of our hard work and planning has paid off, and it's been an awesome event so far. Since we're busy running around the venue, we're bringing you back to our Next Level ABM event that we held in June to replay one of our top keynotes from the virtual show. I actually had the pleasure of sitting down with the amazing Julia McClatchy of McKinsey to get a peek into the crystal ball of sales. The session was called The Future of Sales, and Julia and I uncovered a ton of fascinating insights from McKinsey's latest research. All I'll say about it is that hybrid selling is here, and it's not going anywhere. So with that little teaser, I know you're itching to hear more about hybrid selling and what it means for your organization. So... Without further ado, let's roll the tape. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to B2B MX Next Level ABM. My name is Claudia Tarico, and I'm the editor of Demand Gen Report. And I'm so excited to be sitting down uh, with Julia McClatchy, associate partner at McKinsey and Company, today to discuss some fascinating new research and B2B trends with you all. Uh, Julia, it's so wonderful to have you here. Um, we, have, we have a lot to cover, right? But uh, before we kind of dive in, um, let's, uh, let us, you know, I could do it, but I'd rather you introduce yourself, share a little bit about yourself and your role at McKinsey. Perfect. And first, thanks so much, Claudia, for having me. Thrilled to be here uh, and be with all of you. So I'll do a quick about me. Um, I'm an associate partner in McKinsey's growth, marketing, and sales practice. Um, broadly, I work with organizations on topics like commercial excellence, uh, marketing and sales strategy and execution, um, e-commerce, omnichannel, go-to-market strategy. And the organizations I work with are mostly in B2B and then B2B2C industries, so financial services, high-tech, consumer goods. Um, and I am thrilled to be here and share a little bit about what I know and about some of our most recent research. Amazing. I love that. And so I was thinking, you know, we'll, we'll break this conversation up into like three parts. So uh, like you mentioned, uh, McKinsey uh, is, is really known for, for releasing some industry leading research. I'm constantly checking it out at every chance I get, you know, whenever, whenever something new comes in, uh, it's so relevant for, for our audience. Um, and you had some uh, really game-changing reports this year, uh, the B2B Pulse, right, and the future of sales. So I really, really want to dive into those two topics. 
Um, and, you know, given the focus on ABM at this event, since it's called Next Level ABM, and obviously the audience in attendance, um, I definitely want to learn more about, you know, that collaboration between marketing and sales teams and what organizations can do to really optimize their performance uh, to really enhance those account-based plays, right? So we obviously have a lot to discuss. Um, so first things first, uh, share a little bit about uh, the research. Uh, let's start with the B2B Pulse. Sure thing. Um, so let me just share a little bit of context on where the B2B Pulse comes from and then specifics for this most recent uh, survey that we have done. So the B2B Pulse um, is something that we have had in market since 2016. And we've been able to uh, survey over 20,000 decision makers globally. And by decision maker, I mean, you know, everyone from heads of marketing, sales, CEOs, CHROs, you name it, uh, heads of technology, and um, across multiple industries. And most recently, we have surveyed over 3,500 B2B decision makers, that same group I mentioned, um, across 12 markets. Um, and we've had some really, really game-changing insights, as you mentioned, because what we're seeing is what is the future of B2B sales and marketing? What are some of the trends that we've been seeing throughout the pandemic that have started to actually settle in uh, and we see as really significant going forward? So, I mean, I think we're going to get into this, of course, but just at the highest level, you know, today's buyers are extremely clear about what they want and it's, you know, more channels, more convenience, and, and just a more personalized experience. Yeah, that's definitely what we're hearing a lot of, uh, you know, from our own audience. And, you know, we obviously do some of our own benchmark research. And uh, so it's really fascinating to kind of cross check it and, and see that, you know, it really does all align um, yeah. you know, between our benchmarks and, and, and your research and stuff like that. So um, let's let's get down to the nitty gritty, right? Can you share some some key trends, key insights from the B2B Pulse report? I know we're all dying to hear it. Absolutely. Um, so I'll share kind of five high level ones and then let's, let's unpack each of them. But um, the first thing is being where your customers are. So this is kind of the biggest, most macro takeaway, but it's important to start here because a major finding from our B2B Pulse is something that we call the rule of thirds has become entrenched. So what I mean by that is that when asked, um, given the choice of traditional, so like you know, in-person, uh, remote, which could be a video conference or phone, and then self-service, for example, e-com um, interactions, buyers globally have shown that they want them all in equal measure throughout every stage of the purchasing journey, and sometimes even within buying stages across the journey. And what was fascinating about this is there were no exceptions. We tried. We tried to say, oh, you know, maybe it's some clients don't prefer omnichannel based on their industry, their country, the size of the organization, their client relationship stage. It was consistent. Um, so there are no exceptions. B2B clients prefer omnichannel across every stage of the purchasing journey. So that was the first um, and probably the most grounding insight. A few others that I think are relevant for this audience are one, you know, consumerization of B2B, it is here and now, it is no longer a future trend. And um, we have seen B2B customers, you know, adopt buying habits from the consumer side, which was only a matter of time. And I think one of the most poignant kind of data, pieces of data that back this up is the fact that 20% um, of the people we, in, we interviewed uh, and surveyed said that between, um, they would be willing to spend 50,000 to over 5 million on a self-service 
e-commerce transaction. So not only do they want to be engaged with and be able to have self-serve channels when they're shopping or considering, but they're actually willing to make really large-scale purchases online. Um, the third piece is around this, I said, you know, more channels. What, what does that mean? So actually, specifically, we've seen that more channels equates to more growth. And so in our research, we saw that 72% um, of B2B companies that sell using seven or more channels grew faster than their peers. So grew at a significantly greater share, um, at a faster rate rather. And we've even seen customers engage across up to 10 channels. So this sort of multi-channel world is very much a reality. Two more insights to share. Um, one is that loyalty is very much up for grabs right now, and, and that's requiring players to really act and respond. 80% um, of B2B customers we interviewed said that performance guarantees were a must-have, uh, otherwise they were going to take their business elsewhere. So that's kind of a, a sort of another nugget to think about. And then maybe the last one is this notion of personalization. So we saw that companies that offer more tailored um, outreach, one-to-one -one personalization, they were 1.7 times more likely to have gained market share relative to those who only think about a couple of dimensions of personalization. So kind of bringing that back, it's the rule of thirds that's become entrenched. Um, consumerization of B2B, it's here. People are willing to spend big online. More channels, more growth. Loyalty is really up for grabs. So it's important to get some of the must-dos right. And then personalization is really a key to growth. That's Honestly, so fascinating and, and really, really interesting. I, I love that idea of the um, consumerization, that self-service. We're seeing that a lot as well. And it's shocking to me to, to see that such a high number of buyers or, or people are willing to spend that much money through just like a self-service online portal. Uh, so I do want to um, click a little bit on the personalization and the rise of omni-channel. Of course, you mentioned more channels equals more growth, right? And there's really a, a, a dire need for, for that omni-channel orchestration today. Uh, so um, first up, can you, can you explain uh, that emphasis on personalized communication and its role in, in sales today? Yeah, of course. And I think, um, you know, I think one of the, the facts that I had shared earlier is that we're in a world where customers are engaging, up, you know, through up to 10 channels, um, sometimes even more. And so, you know, as an organization, as a, you know, as a sales team, as a marketing team, you have to have a really clear, unified view of your customer, both online and offline, to engage them uh, and create, you know, warm handoffs, seamless experiences across all of those channels. So I think that this idea of tailored outreach online and offline um, has to become kind of the de facto way of engaging across all channels. And so, you know, tailoring an interaction to a market of one, which is sort of the, you know, holy grail of personalization, um, that requires, you know, much greater prowess in terms of data and analytics to understand segments, micro segments uh, of your customers, and then be able to look at behavioral transactional engagement trends. So I think those are some of the, the big, you know, themes, but it, not requ it requires a lot of investment, obviously, it's, it's, that's hard to do. Um, but as I mentioned before, the more adept an organization becomes at personalization, the closer you get to that one-to-one, -one, the greater the share gains. Uh, so that, you know, that's a, a great case to bring to heads of marketing, heads of, of sales, if I've ever heard of one. Um, and maybe I think just to, 
you know, we see consumer companies doing this all the time. Like I think, for example, of Sephora as a great example. Um, they seamlessly blend together digital and physical physical shopping experiences, right? They're, um, when you walk into a, a, a store, you they use augmented reality tools like facial scanning so that you can, you know, conduct virtual product testing. But then when you come in, they have all of your past purchase history so they can make really tailored recommendations. So if that's sort of the, the North Star, thinking about how to get there and then being on that path is what we're talking to a lot of clients about as we speak. And that's really the beauty of ABM, right? Having that, you know, you know, there's obviously different varieties of ABM. We have one-to-one, one-to-few, one-to-many. Um, so it, it's really interesting to, to see that, you know, you, you could really get that level of personalization on a one-to-one level, especially if you're, if you're doing um, ABM and, and have that, you know, that pulse on um, every, you know, target account. So now in parallel, there, there's that proliferation of channels. And I do want to ask, you know, um, if, if the report had any uh, insights into what were some of the top channels as well. But um, so that could be like a second part to the question, but sure. how sellers think about channel orchestration to, to reach the right audience at the right time with the right message, right? That's that holy grail right there, the right audience, right time, right message. Yeah, no, it's a great question. I mean, I think just to, to set the stage in terms of like, what do we mean when we say 10 channels? Um, you know, it's, First of all, it's it's up from when we last pulsed um, B2B decision makers in 2016, it was only five channels, which were like email, in-person, uh, you know, phone, website, maybe a procurement portal, depending on, you know, what kind of buyer you are. Now add to that uh, mobile app, uh, video conference, web chat, um, search. So, you know, there are, those are some of the examples of how we get to that 10 number. And then to your, the second part of your question, that orchestration across all of those channels, that's really difficult to get right. Uh, And so you do need kind of a framework to think about that. And so here's what I would say. Um, You know, customers are sort of omni-channel in both a macro and a micro sense. They use multiple channels across the purchasing journey and then also within each buying stage of that journey. Um, And we know that some some buyers are going to gravitate towards one-on-one interactions for high complex or high value deals or or sales, many also are really comfortable using digital self-serve for major purchases based on that stat I was sharing earlier. So given these expectations, you know, account managers really need to become journey orchestrators, um, guiding customers to the channels that according to buyer intelligence are most helpful to a specific audience at a specific purchasing stage. And we'll talk about this shortly, I think, but hybrid account managers, right, or hybrid roles really come into this equation at this point, right, because they come into the roles ready to serve customers the way they want to be served seamlessly across channels, um, which we know kind of results in that faster market share growth and, and less channel conflict. Awesome. Yep. That magic word finally came up, the hybrid, the H word. It's <laughs> so huge lately, obviously, you know, whether it's events and, and, and all that. So let's dive right into that and, and kind of get into our part two of our conversation about the future of sales, right? So um, yeah, like you said, uh, the future of B2B sales is hybrid, right? Just like a lot of um, interactions in general and, and events and things like that. So can you share a little bit more on, on that specific uh, piece of research? Yeah, no, of course. Um, this was a really exciting perspective uh, to co-write with two of my other colleagues, Jennifer and Lisa. And we wrote this building off of our, our B2B pulse findings because 
um, you know, we found a few things that just made this role really relevant and, and kind of ripe for digging into more so. Um, we found that 40% of organizations uh, surveyed had added hybrid sellers to their ranks in the past two years. Um, we saw that this role is set to become the second most prominent kind of B2B sales role over the next three years. Um, and hybrid selling itself is expected to become the most dominant sales strategy by 2024. So these were really compelling stats that we thought, mm, oh gosh, okay, this is, this is an imperative. We need to unpack this and understand what is hybrid selling, what is its value, and how do you get it right? Um, and so in this piece of research that you're referencing, we looked at you know, the growing importance of hybrid selling and you know, how do you think about it uh, in an omnichannel world? Very, very interesting. So, all right, let, let's, let's dive even deeper into that. So um, you, might, you might have already mentioned it, but what, one yeah. of the interesting insights uh, that is that hybrid selling is actually driving almost 50% uh, more revenue. So what, what, do you, what do you attribute this to? So right. Um, so hybrid selling, definite game changer for organizations. And what we saw is that hybrid sales can drive up exactly to the number that you had shared, up to 50% more revenue. And that's by enabling a few different things. So enabling kind of broader, deeper customer engagement um, by meeting customers where they are, right? Agnostic of, you know, how you're aligned as an organization against channels, more how customers through buying intelligence want to be served. Um, and also by unlocking a more kind of diverse talent pool than traditional models. So I think just kind of unpacking some of this, um, hybrid sales utilizes kind of this unique combination of channels, remote, e-com, um, to serve customers kind of where they prefer to buy, deploying people in person when there's a real high value or moment that matters. Um, and because of that omni-channel, it just enables way more broad and deep real-time customer engagement versus having to wait, you know, for that quarterly meeting or whenever you might have had that interaction with a customer because you were, quote, a field salesperson, as one example. Very, very interesting. So how, how, can, um, how can organizations actually ac accelerate the, their hybrid sales models? And, and do, do we need to prep sales for, for all of this new stuff? And, and how can companies even, even like get started on that? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So I'll share some high level pieces, but that's, let's dive into, you know, whichever one you think would be most relevant for the group. So um, we've seen four things and I'll, I'll dive into each. One is agility. So being able to, to go remote where possible and test and learn into what the right kind of mix of interactions is. Um, the second is around insights, figuring out how you can harness uh, customer insights to figure out where they want to be served. Um, technology. So this is, you know, how do you support really thoughtful adoption of new technology, figuring out how you can give your sellers, your marketers, the right intelligence, and then uh, talent. So, you know, I think people are an organization's most important asset. We know that to be true. And, you know, cultivating kind of these next gen sales capabilities for new and existing talent uh, is kind of the fourth thing. So, you know, I think let's maybe talk about each one of those in a little bit more depth, but, um, you know, guide me to what would be most helpful. So I think on, on the agility piece, which is really the cornerstone of, of the first thing to get right, um, organizations have to figure out how to, to, to be really agile and deploy resources 
in a dynamic manner, depending on what are customer demands, what are their expectations. So, you know, one example of this, um, we heard in our B2B Pulse research that 40% of customers use a new supplier to buy, will use a new supplier to buy only um, if they've met that sales representative in person, 40%. So that's an opportunity for in-person engagement when customers prefer it. Um, and it's something that most organizations have to provide, but also being agile in terms of, okay, you know, we've met, I've met Claudia once, great. That's, that sort of satisfied that. Now can I engage her remotely, but try to get some signals into when it might make most sense to go back out in person to have lunch, have a meeting, whatever it is. Um, so that sort of agility is, is critical. Hey, can I stop you right, right there? Of so, course. Um, you know, obviously intent data is, is such a huge topic lately. So is that kind of where that whole portion, that layer kind of flows into the scenario, leveraging intent data to really, you know, collect those insights and, and be able to, to be agile with, 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 the, with the buyer? Yeah, exactly. So it's uh, well said. And I would say that the second piece around, you know, insights is making sure your organization is embracing, you know, data and analytics, but also um, qualitative insights, right, to make really quick and proactive decisions throughout the customer journey. And I think this combination of qual and quant analyses creates kind of that customer backed insight to deliver a better experience. Um, and I might also just kind of piggyback on that one and talk about technology a little bit because that's, you know, right there to be able to deliver the right tools to make those decisions um, internally. So, you know, the pandemic was a silver lining of the pandemic, if you could call it that, um, gave rise to a great number of really excellent, you know, tech tools that, that sales teams have been able to deploy it there to their advantage. Um, and, you know, also have a great kind of customer experience lens to them. But the, the menu of kind of choices can be pretty overwhelming and we see clients dealing with this all the time. Um, and there's a real risk of maybe overcomplicating the IT environment as well. If, you know, too many next gen, you know, tools, bells, whistles, um, that can distract from core needs. And so what we've seen outperforming sales organizations do is, you know, think about thoughtful adoption of new technology. So like, where are the most critical pain points within core sales processes? Um, and figuring out, you know, how can we try to just solve for those? Can we give greater clarity on what our customers are doing, how they're reacting, or, you know, how your actions are having an impact on having deeper, more meaningful client conversations? So probably more than you wanted on that front, but I think that insight and technology piece, super, super critical. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you did already kind of touch on, you know, what, what you're seeing the outperformers doing differently, especially in that uh, technology portion. But what else are you seeing outperformers doing differently based on these insights? And, and what really separates the best from the rest? Good question. I think, um, I think what we've observed outperformers do is three things. Um, they orchestrate, they integrate, and they personalize. And let me just break down each one, one of which we've already talked about already, which is um, I think sales and marketing professionals need to think of themselves as journey orchestrators with you know, the account manager uh, or the representative at the tip of the sphere of that. But they need to guide their customers to the channels that, you know, as we talked about, according to data and insights, are most helpful at a specific buying stage. So that's kind of the orchestration piece, figuring out, knowing when to go in person, when to offer a self-serve experience to meet that expectation. The second one is integration, which is 
another name I would think for agility in this case. Um, and hybrid selling is just a really natural enabler of that because it's you know more than one channel by definition and it's integrated by design, um, which is why we think you know why we see forty percent of organizations adding. Uh, hybrid sellers to their ranks over the past couple of years and why it's going to become one of the most prominent roles. And then the personalization piece, which just has to become the standard across channels and, you know, providing customers with intuitive interfaces, warm transitions across channels, speed, transparency, expertise, um, those have become real major market differentiators. So I would say those three things. Awesome. And I feel like I, I, I could add to that, like that relevant, like the relevancy portion, like mm -hmm. you want your messaging to, to be relevant to, to that buyer and their needs. Right? right. So, you know, you're not only just personalizing things, uh, you know, with a logo or a specific name, but you really have to be relevant with, with their needs. Right. You, you do. And I think, you know, think back to any experience that you've had as a consumer, right. In terms of where it makes sense to personalize versus, you know, what, what, what personalization really means, right? So my, my best example is if you've ever been on the phone with, um, you know, your, your phone provider, right, of trying to like log on to your account or make a change to your account and you talk to someone and you tell them the whole story and you get all of your information and then they pass you over to someone else and you have to do the whole thing over again. Or you've done it online and then that just, th this, the seamless transition between channels and those warm handoffs, that's so critical because it's just, you know, that is a pain point that should not exist when you should feel like, oh, okay, this person or this company, right, knows me, they're using my information intelligently, and I feel like I'm getting the maximum, you know, experience from when I call them, when I log on, whatever the action is. Awesome. All right, we're, we're coming down to the wire here. Just a, a couple more questions for you. Um, so obviously, you know, uh, not only are there a lot of salespeople, there are a lot of marketers as well. And, and these two teams have to be, you know, very much in sync to create that, that customer experience. Um, and I, I know that sales and marketing alignment is constantly a challenge, uh, especially for our audience. So can you share how marketing and sales can, can best partner together, um, especially in this world of hybrid selling? Yes, and it's very near and dear to my heart because I was a marketer um, for, several year, for several years before I started working with uh, sales and marketing organizations. But I mean, I think one of the biggest things that's become even, it's always been true, but it's become even more paramount, you know, kind of post-pandemic in a hybrid environment is that um, it's really important to be intentional about the feedback loop between sales and marketing. So like the the best marketers I know have spent time in sales and the best salespeople I know have spent time in marketing to build that empathy and that bridge. And like sales benefits from understanding, you know, the science of personalization, which marketing understands really well. And then vice versa, marketing can understand some of the interpersonal needs, the conversations um, that come out through sales conversations. So I think at the most macro level, I would say that feedback loop. Um, but I mean, I think just some practical use cases to think about you know, marketing can really help sales professionals understand where they should spend their time. You know, I think any sales leader I talk to, they're always trying to figure out, okay, how can we help our sales folks manage their pipeline of opportunities, figure out where to spend their time uh, most efficiently for the highest ROI? Marketers can help with that, right? Because they can say which customers have the most profit potential, the most, you know, propensity for growth, highest propensity for growth. Um, so that's one. It's like there is a simpatico relationship there. And the second is marketing can help with that rule of thirds, figuring out what are the critical moments. Um, 
they can figure out, you know, when is a customer about to buy from you or maybe a competitor or whether they're even in a consideration set at all. So, you know, should you go out to have that in-person meeting? Should you continue to engage them through digital marketing content, et cetera? Um, and then I think the third thing is marketing can, can tell and help calibrate with sales in terms of what actually is working. So, you know, salespeople will always have that great, incredible sense from conversations like the one we're having of like what's actually working, but marketing can use, you know, thousands of touch points that they're constantly aggregating um, from online and offline interactions to actually tell that to sales. So it's really an unlock there. So I think the, the feedback loop and then thinking about some specific use cases where marketing and sales can really help one another just kind of organically brings them closer together. Yeah, communication and collaboration are exactly keys right there. All right. Well, uh, final question uh, for you before uh, before we break. Um, give us some advice. What is your advice uh, to leaders uh, in their uh, home offices, uh, regular offices, wherever they are in the world watching this right now? Um, what is your advice um, on, you know, looking to optimize, you know, for, for those looking to optimize their organization's sales performance? Yeah, no, it's a great question, Claudia. I mean, I would say that no matter what role you are in, whether you're on a you know, strategic, strategic account team, whether you're in learning and development, whether you're a marketer, whether you're in sales operations, um, a few things. One is think of yourself as, or help others around you become journey orchestrators, because that's the most important thing that we see in terms of driving experience. So think of yourself as a journey orchestrator. Um, the second is, you know, help your organization attract more diverse talent, next-gen sales capabilities, because that is something that we see winning firms do, and it's going to help you have a more diverse set of colleagues and your organization um, have greater prowess and, and capabilities going forward. The third is, um, you know, kind of drive home the point of personalizing everything because it actually drives greater share gains. Like there is true value to be had there, and so really make that mark and push for that um, and enable it where and when you can. And then maybe the fourth thing is, you know, Treat hybrid selling and hybrid, you know, customer experience like a capability that is here to stay. We have research that shows that that is true. And so putting time and energy against that is really going to pay off down the road. So I would say whatever role you're in, think of those, you know, three, four things as critical capabilities that you can take ownership of. Awesome. Fabulous, fabulous advice and just really, really awesome insights and a great conversation, Julia. Thank you so much for, for taking the time to, to join us and, and be with us at, at B2B MX Next Level ABM. Um, I truly appreciate your time. It was a pleasure to be here. Thrilled to talk to you, Claudia. And um, you know, if anyone has any questions, happy to, to, to take them and chat more because this is a fascinating subject. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. Well, everyone, that is a wrap on, on this session. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, like uh, Julia mentioned, if you do have any questions, uh, don't hesitate to reach out um, and we'll be sure to, to follow up and maybe even send a link to the reports to check out or anything that we could do uh, to kind of clear things up and, and help uh, help you all with the future of sales and, and just B2B marketing in general and ABM. So uh, thank you to Julia again and thank you all for joining us. Uh, have a great rest of the show and enjoy. You know, Claude, that was just such a great conversation you had with Julia. Her insights around omni-channel selling, the consumerization of B2B, and just 
how to unlock growth during periods of change and transformation will definitely be useful to all of our listeners as we continue to navigate these post-pandemic waters. Absolutely. So big shout out to Julia for taking the time to chat with me and share all of that great knowledge. And that's a wrap on today's episode, folks. Thank you all for joining us. Make sure to subscribe to the pod on the podcast player of choice. And of course, join the conversation on LinkedIn and Twitter. We'd love to hear from you as always. So hopefully we'll hear from you next time. Bye.